There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Mod Path Chat, the official podcast of Modern Pathology featuring interviews with authors and experts on the latest science, technology, and developments in the field of pathology. Your host, Dr. George Netto, is the editor-in-chief of Modern Pathology and the chair of pathology at the University of Alabama at Birmingham. Here's Dr. Netto. Welcome to a new episode of Mod Path Chat. Joining me today are two guests, actually, Dr. Peter McCaffrey from uh, University of Texas Medical Branch in Galveston and Dr. Adam Booth. Peter is the Director of Informatics at UTMB, and he's blessed with dual expertise in computational biology and microbiology. Adam uh, has just moved from UTMB a few months ago to do his GI Path Fellowship at Beth Israel Deaconess in Boston. But during his residency at UTMB, uh, Adam developed a passion for digital path and uh, for utilization of social media and pathology. We'll talk about that toward the end. So thank you both for accepting my invitation. Thank you, George. Pleasure to be here. Thank you, Dr. Nero. It's a pleasure to have you. I would like to start with a brief discussion of your uh, modern pathology paper on on prognostic uh, model using machine learning to predict mortality in COVID. And hopefully we will have some time then to talk about the two exciting areas that you guys have excelled in and, and our audience can learn a lot from you. So let's start with the uh, manuscript. Uh, and, and that question is for you, Adam. Uh, can you share with us a little bit briefly about the design and why you specifically uh, how did you zoom in on these markers? Well, thank you. Yeah, so we wanted to try to identify which uh, common serum lab markers could be used to uh, to to identify uh, prognostic uh, factors in COVID nineteen uh, patients. So using um, machine learning, we were able to narrow those down and, and find out which of 26 laboratory markers weighed the most in the patient's um, ultimate uh, outcome. 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 Yeah. Ultimate outcome. And, uh, and using that, we identified five that were the, uh, the weighed the most, and those were CRP, albumin, uh, serum calcium, BUN, and lactic acid. And one thing that's very uh, specific about those is those are a very common lab test, and that allows us to, uh, you know, most inpatients will have results for those uh, those tests. 
that will make your model very applicable and widely used, not not just limited to us in, in the United States. Uh, so I know uh, who to ask uh, about uh, giving us a crash course on the jargon uh, of these uh, machine learning things, and I, I believe it's SVM model. So Peter, uh, why don't you teach us quickly what, what these are and how these work? How sure. Sure, sure. Yeah. So we chose to use a technique known as a support vector machine for this paper, which uh, is a complex name, but uh, it's a tool that's been around for quite a while. Uh, Early work on this model was done in the 70s and 80s, and it's proven to be a very effective, pretty general purpose way to do what is called essentially a linear classification. So you you can imagine the, the real operation under the hood is kind of like, you know, taking a bunch of patients and dividing them between good and bad outcome in this case, and locating where that line might go to divide them. Um, and that's really the, the gist of it. And, you know, we, we like the support vector machine because it's there's a lot of packages that'll do it. Uh, you don't have to build it from scratch. It's more like tuning it to your purpose. And uh, one little thing about it that's nice is uh, it's what's called a, a wide margin classifier. And what that, what that really means is that it looks to put that line in such a place that it's it's got wiggle room, if you will. So in the interest of being generalizable and useful across maybe more than one cohort or place, it's a really good place to start. And and it showed that it was useful in this case. And so that was a great outcome, as simple as you can be and not too simple. Wow. So so when you say packages, so is it almost like off the shelf? I mean, uh, clearly you need some background to use it. And tune it no, that, that, that's a great way to put it. Yeah. I mean, one of the really powerful things about you know, a lot of the languages that people use for this stuff, it sounds more complex on the outside than it really is. And you think of building something in Python or R is much of it is imported in. Uh, there's really vibrant toolkits. So what you really do as a practitioner is you you tune attributes of it, and that can get very technical, but you, you don't have to build the model from scratch per se. And that's really nice. You can try different things and be pretty efficient about it. And it's just a, it's a good point to remember that the study involved almost 400, 398 patients, 43 of them uh, unfortunately died and 355 uh, survived it. And, and so I guess you were trying to find differences and, and like Adam said, among 26 markers and this machine learning helped you zoom in on, on the ones that could, could break it uh, you know, consistently. That's absolutely right. And uh, what's nice about these models when they do learn, if you will, kind of where that line should go, you can kind of pull back out of them important things like, you know, when the model found this line, how, how important did it regard these lab values? And that's uh, kind of where we got this ranking from. And, and the paper goes into what did the model decide without us having to necessarily tell it how important it should regard calcium. It kind of came to a conclusion that it was important. And that's informative in both ways, I think, building a model and learning from a model. Uh, that's that's a very good point. So that sometimes you know it points to you what's important, and maybe uh, you you backtrack and try to see what's the biology behind that. Uh, that's that's amazing. I, I never thought about that, Doctor Nando and uh, and uh, Doctor McCaffrey. I think uh, one other thing there is it, the machine learning allows us to identify uh, relationships you might not necessarily um, you know just just see firsthand, even based on your own clinical experience, sure, uh, using our knowledge of physiology and pathophysiology, we can connect some of these variables. But there were several papers that we've referenced and looked at where they had, you know, identified one or two of these uh, seromarkers that, you know, led to a negative outcome. 
So being able to tie these things together really gave us a better picture of the view. And I think that's one of the big, most powerful things of, of our study. That's, uh, very, very well said. Uh, I, uh, it's, it's just an amazing uh, times. And, uh, and so, uh, and fortunately, in a good way that here we are, when, when this paper was accepted, we were saying no vaccine, no effective therapy, no that. Thankfully, uh, due to the efforts of all scientists across the world, we, we are in a much, much better place in that regard. Uh, but uh, uh, here we are again with the surge and, and a dark winter. Do you see uh, a relevance for your model uh, to apply? Because the denominator now is huge. And unfortunately, this week we, we hit around 3,500 deaths per day at certain times. So clearly a model like that will be very helpful on who to focus these expensive resources. Wouldn't you agree? And and how do you see it? Absolutely. Um, I, I can take a stab and you can chime in, Adam, as well. So, yeah, I mean, we're far from out of the woods. You know, if anything, now adding new tests and a vaccine complicates the picture, you know. And what's great about models and machine learning is the model doesn't need to be static. You know, you trained it, you can retrain it, and you can retrain it, and you can retrain it. And, and it can evolve over time to include more data and more attributes from new patients. And as a method, I think we're going to, keep doing that because uh, we have a long way to go really before uh, we can let our guard down. And uh, the next year is going to be also very COVID centric. Uh, unfortunately so. Adam, uh, anything else you want to add to that? I think our, you know, as this surge is happening, I think our clinician uh, colleagues can, you know, these values, these laboratory markers can help them if they see these ranges kind of, you know, out of whack, they might be able to be tipped off towards a, uh, a poor outcome in a particular patient, uh, hopefully in advance, uh, which would give them enough time to try to, you know, take more aggressive measures uh, for that patient. And uh, as we're hearing as of yesterday, you know, the new strains, strains will, will develop, the virus will evolve, and potentially even the sequences or the strains can be plucked in in such models. Uh, hopefully it's it's not going to pan out, the fears that, that it's more aggressive, but who knows. Well, uh, wonderful. This is uh, very informative. So I guess we have uh, a little extra time to, uh, uh, and this is the purpose of this podcast, is, is to start going beyond just uh, the manuscript so our audience can get uh, added value. Uh, so for uh, Peter, uh, you know, the uh, clearly... AI uh, and and computational uh, path is uh, is now the third revolution. And uh, what is uh, your word of wisdoms uh, for uh, for us, especially those of us who uh, grew up in a totally uh, non computerized environment and uh, had to learn the basics? Uh, what do you think? I know this is important for the field, not only for digital paths, for uh, genomic, you know, uh, identifying variants of significance, but uh, for for our field in general and, and for the masses uh, of pathologists. What's your word of wisdom? How do we approach it and, and how doable it is? That's a great, great question. I mean, I think the thing that's important to understand is that uh, it's not the first time we as a field have embraced a new technology. Um, you know, it, people had cells and morphology before we saw it with a microscope. People had genomes before we saw it with a sequencer. So the data existed for a long time. It's just now we're packaging it into data products. But this is an art, one of the many things in an armamentarium that we have as a field. And kind of what we do in PATH is 
ambitiously grapple with waves of new technology. I don't think everyone needs to know everything about it, much like, you know, you don't, everyone doesn't need to be a molecular pathologist, but it it's approachable to have, you know, enough of an understanding to know where the models can be used. And I think people can be a little bit comforted that uh, it's not as hard as it looks from the outside. And, and I think that um, we as a field will probably do more to educate our residents and and we will uh, grapple with it effectively like we have everything else. And, and so I, I would not be concerned. Um, not everyone has to be super deep on it, but it will offer a whole new suite of things that we can do and deliver value through. So even even people of my generation have some hope of learning it. Absolutely. 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 Well, clearly, Adam excelled at it, but he had a mentor. <laughs> so, right. so Adam, how do you see, I mean, for your generation, uh, is this something that we have to teach uh, our fellows and residents? Uh, because by the time you guys practicing, it's going to be important, right? Yes, sir. I, I completely agree with what Dr. McCaffrey said and, and what you said as well. You know, this is that kind of third revolution and uh, we're going to be able to apply these these techniques and methods uh, in all sorts of different ways in anatomic pathology and clinical pathology. You know, we have like there in our paper, we pulled these lab values and, and ran this analysis. And there's, you know, if you can think of it, it's available to do that for all sorts of things within pathology. So it really opens the whole realm of, of what's available to us and the power and impact we can have on patients and clinical care with as far as guiding treatments and therapies uh, kind of down the road and, and not only, maybe identifying disease long before it even set, it takes place and sets hold in the patients. Also, um, I would add that I think this revolution kind of will hopefully attract new a uh, new generation of, of future pathologists to our specialty that, uh, you know, that kind of grew up with the internet and, and the computer and computer programming and things like that. And they can see that they can have a, they can not only get to use those skills that they, you know, enjoy and have learned about and perfected, but they can also use that to, to apply uh, to patients and patient care. So they can not only, you know, you know, care for patients, but they can use their, um, you know, the things that they enjoy their, their, if they, you know, hobbies or gaming, anything like that. Like, I think it can all kind of filter into uh, what we can do as pathologists in the future. I mean, we're constantly looking on uh, on new uh, toys and tools to attract a, a new generation of smart people like you, Adam, to the field. And uh, and I, I fully agree. The the other important point is uh, we barely, you know, uh, in the last few years started modifying the curriculum toward where molecular and genomics. And Peter, you're right. Now we don't need to know everything about it, but but a depth of education for the fellows and residents is extremely important. I know in my place that's one of the things that I've tasked our program director is uh, is you have to carve out space for molecular because it's going to impact every subspecialty. And I guess now we have to add the AI too. So a constant change, which is a good thing for the field. Uh, but I have no doubt that molecular and uh, attracted uh, a, a crop of, of people to, to the field that are very intelligent and, and, uh, and savvy, and, and this will do the same. So the future is great. So a couple of Words, uh, Adam, about uh, your celebrity status as <laughs> uh, as a social media. You clearly exploited it, and uh, and all jokes aside, you you've played a crucial role in several committees on CAP uh, and uh, uh, even APC, Association of Pathology Chairs. So I congratulate you on your leadership. I have no doubt you're going to have an incredible career. Can you uh, tell us, uh, you know, share with us how uh, what uh, advice and and how important 
important that is for for your uh, fellow residents and trainees uh, at this stage to be engaged with that? Yes. Well, thank you for the kind words, Dr. Neto. You know, I, I, early on in residency, I saw the impact and the kind of the networking community that was on social media, particularly with Twitter among pathologists and the opportunities there to learn. Uh, and I started out just kind of following along tweets and, and learning different things uh, more diagnostically. But as that grew, I was able to kind of grow my network and meet new people. And, you know, I saw opportunities. So I would tell residents, you know, look for opportunities that are posted like scholarships, awards, um, opportunities for collaboration, because those things all abound on there. I have, uh, I mean, I have publications from with authors that I never met in person. Uh, we had never interacted, but we, we were able to work together and connect through social media. And there's just, it's just tremendous. And I would urge them to, uh, to get involved there and, you know, kind of find their niche because uh, there's, there's so much they can gain. That is uh, that is so uh, so true, and uh, keep it up, and uh, and hopefully that's that's part of the reason we started these ModPath chat is is hopefully the community will also listen to that, and the social media will. Uh, I have no doubt with Adam's uh, network. <laughs> A lot of people are going to listen to this specific episode. Well, uh, it's uh, it's been a greatly enjoyable conversation. Uh, thank you again both for uh, joining ModFast Chat. And uh, I wish all of uh, uh, members of our audience across the world a safe and uh, blessed uh, holiday. And please uh, stay tuned for a special edition of ModPath Chat uh, that should uh, come your way before the end of the year, uh, where we can uh, look up, uh, uh, look back at the year in review 2020 and uh, the achievements that modern pathology has done and summarize uh, the uh, most top downloaded and top cited papers uh, this year. And by the way, uh, both of you, Peter and Adam, uh, should, should be happy to know that you guys' uh, paper was among the top 20 downloaded uh, papers. So your hard work uh, is being appreciated. Uh, happy holidays to both of you. Thank you. Thank you, you sir. Thank you for having us. Any opinions expressed in this podcast are the speaker's own and do not represent the views of modern pathology, Springer Nature, UAB, or USCAP. Your ModPath chat host and scientific director is Dr. George Netto. Producers are Christina Crow, Amber Jackson, Dr. Sarah Jang, and Dr. Catherine Ketchum. Technical direction is provided by Kaminsky Productions, music by Mitch Neubauer. Thanks to the authors, reviewers, and editors of Modern Pathology for making this podcast possible. 